Uh, hey, Southland City Church, uh, Jason here with the inimitable Zachary Gillis. Hi. And we, uh, we're adding an episode of the podcast feed because uh, Zach and I started having a conversation, just the two of us, over lunch a little while ago. And I think we both realized this is a conversation that the whole church should benefit from. Um, so that's what we're doing here. This is just a little sort of added content that we hope makes us uh, just slightly more educated as a community about some things that really matter. Um, especially right now, it's Black History Month. Yes, it is. Yeah, and that's kind of where we started, Zach. We were talking. About, we were at lunch. We were talking about Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And before we get into the topic at hand, let's just hang out with Black History Month for a minute. Yeah. Um. I think I grew up in spaces that like gave a head nod to this, and it's been a real learning journey for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just why we would do that, but the good that comes from it. And now, all of a sudden, we're living at a moment in time where, you know certain state education systems which shall not be named or like actively stripping black history out of curriculum Mm. so all of a sudden it seems um even more urgent um can you talk to us a little bit about like what you hope black history month would be for a church like ours oh absolutely well first off i think a lot of folks don't know the origin of black history month i mean i don't want to make an assumption but just in case yeah, talk to I mean, I'm a very educated person, Zach, about all these things. But talk, talk to me like I'm one of those ignorant people that may not know. Okay. Okay. So um, Black History Month actually started as Negro History Week. And um, Carter G. Woodson, they called him the father of black history. So what had happened was one day Carter G. Woodson decided that we needed um, – just a period of time to celebrate black history in this country. So what he did was that he designated the second week of February because it's in between the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Mm. And then uh, once um, the Ford administration was in place, there was a push to make it the whole month of February. So that is how it became Black History Month. And a lot of people, you know, some tongue-in-cheekly, some, some who are actually serious are like, why is Black History Month in the shortest month of the year? <laughs> right. You know, there's not... I've heard, I've heard that joke. Yeah. You know? Or like, that critique. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not... There, there is not a discriminatory undertone there. <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> just chill. We can take some deep breaths. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Um, that's just the brief history of it. Yeah, that's right. Um, I know one thing I have learned slowly uh, that I keep learning is that it's really true that history almost is always told from the top side of power. Absolutely. Right. And it's, um, at, at best incomplete and at worst, Mm -hmm. um, it, by doing that, we just perpetuate some of the very same things that we're trying to fix right now. Oh yeah. Like I had a teacher in high school that said history is whatever someone says it is. Mm. Whoever is the historian, whoever writes whatever is considered history is what that is so I feel like that I mean just going back to the question of how we want to celebrate it as a church um I feel like that there's some importance there Mm -hmm. um where we use different sources and hear different voices particularly in our community so so I think that that's why I'm super excited about you know this virtual tour we got going on um of South Bend of like some some black history sites and then um the book that we're going to go through 
Yeah, that's right. So uh, for those who aren't catch, catching up on this, um, two communal exercises for us are mm-hmm. uh, the Civil Rights Heritage Museum. Do I have that name right? Yes. Yeah, here in South Bend has built a local tour that you can do on your own time with a map that takes you to locations right here in the city of South Bend that are significant yes. in black history here. And then we also have the book Better Homes of South Bend, which tells the story of families, uh, largely or entirely, I suppose, Studebaker employee families, uh, which hits real home for a church that meets on the factory floor where some of those people worked in 1950. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, working together to resist discriminatory housing practices that were affecting them and their families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which um, both of these uh, exercises for us remind me of something that I've been... Um, I've taken note of just in the last couple of years, which I think it can be tempting during Black History Month or in general when we talk about black history to to then like only center the um, stories of suffering and marginalization rather than also like one of the things I'm taking note of when I read Better Homes of South Bend is the creativity, the ingenuity, the intention. Uh, Say more about that angle on black history and the approach. Yes, um, we don't want to focus on the struggle. We want to acknowledge it, but we don't want to focus it. You know, we know that um, things can coexist. Things can intermingle in this sense. Like, black history is meant to be celebrated. You know, I always say I become a bit ethnocentric in this month, which is just like thinking that your culture is the best. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm so proud to be black. I don't know what to do. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it's important for, I know for me, as a black man in this country, to sort of just sit and take in um, where we've been, where we are and where we're going, and to celebrate all the things that we've achieved, yeah. you know. And then I forgot to mention something going back to why celebrating Black History Month is important to the South Bend City Church. Family, you know, we are not a monolith. <laughs> like, much the people's chagrin, we are not a monolith. There are folks, a part of SBCC, that look like me. You know? So I think it's important for the entire community to acknowledge yeah. our history and our contributions to this country and for those that don't know much about black history. Um that are part of our community to learn some more. Yeah, that's good. Boom. That's good. Okay. Yeah. We, um, it, it strikes me that right now, as much as ever, you know, this has been sort of, it's being framed kind of politically or in a kind of partisan way. Yeah. Which just, I think is um, like heartbreaking and frustrating because I, I think at a really basic level, you could just argue, A, if you just care about the truth, you, okay. would, you would want to know more history, right? Absolutely. Not just the part that's told from the perspective of white people in history, or the people mm-hmm. in power. Secondly, as a as a community following Jesus together, um, I could preach the sermon for 10 hours right. about all the ways that scripture and Christian faith would compel us uh, to turn our attention, especially to the stories that are hidden and people whose histories have been marginalized in a community that, you, like you said, it's not a monolith, mm-hmm. but... Um, there's certainly a majority demographic and then that's true. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> again, I could preach it all day long out of Paul's letters, but I think part of our job is to turn our attention, especially to, um, to centering and showing welcome to the stories that aren't always at the center. 
Absolutely. You know, the Bible said the truth will set you free. <laughs> Preaching. <laughs> um, okay, so you and I were having lunch and we were talking about Black History Month. Yes. And then um, that conversation led into another concept that for some will be familiar and for many, I think it won't be. Uh, you dropped this word on me. The word is intersectionality. Yes. Let's go one-on-one. What do you mean by intersectionality? <laughs> so intersectionality was something... Um, that was, it was a term that was created by a black woman. Black women are magical. <laughs> They're beautiful. I came from one. <laughs> yes, you did. It's a beautiful thing. But um, uh, what happened was is that um, Kimberly Crenshaw was writing a paper. And I want to say that it was, I want to say that it was a law paper or something, <laughs> something, something surrounding that. It escapes my brain. But she realized that the experience of a black woman is different from the experience of a white woman. So that's where the concept of intersectionality was brought forth. And that can be used pretty much for anyone who experiences more than one access of societal marginalization. Yeah, great. So let's work this out for a little bit. Let's break it down. Yeah. So <clears throat> let's just uh, for a moment sit with the example of a black woman, which mm -hmm. is Kimberly, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, she's saying that if you try to understand her experience as a black person, that'll be part of it. Right. right. And if you try to understand it as a woman, that'll be part of it. But there's something more complex going on when you stack those experiences. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That's where um, the woman is a movement is brought forth because I mean tell, tell us about that what, what is that what do you mean so feminism was geared more toward the experience of a white woman and because those experiences are different from that of a black woman womanism was brought forth mm -hmm. so that's what that is basically yeah. so um I, I don't want to be devil's advocate because that's not my heart at all here <laughs> but I, I want to push further into understanding for people who are like I can imagine some listeners are really quick to track with this. Yes. Others, not so much. Right. So I think there might be questions like, um, like, yeah, what's the point though, right? So, okay, yeah, a black woman is different than a white woman. Can you go a little further into, in terms of experience and structures, why that matters? Well, I mean, why that matters, number one is because our story is different. Yeah. A lot of us, did not come to this country by choice. You know, systemic racism is a thing. And there are privileges that white women have that black women do not. Mm -hmm. So it's important that those stories be brought forth and explained. Like, I'm sure that there are conversations that my mother had to have with me as a black woman that your mother probably never had to have with you right. as a white woman. Yeah. Um, and of course there are so many instances if you just, if you just look at history, if you just look at how black women were just dehumanized and treated like livestock, like the rest of the slaves. I mean, like you're talking to someone who's like one of my great grandfathers, one of my third great grandfathers was a breeder. Mm-hmm. You know, so I probably have. And when I say breeder, yeah, I mean. Explain that. Just. Yeah. Um, so what slave owners did was that because they treated us like livestock, three fifths of a person, 
um, is that they took the strongest slaves and they bred them. Right, literally. We're talking literally, like livestock. Like livestock to have a whole bunch of kids and to create more slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I come from that. Mm-hmm. You know, that is an experience yeah. Yeah. that has to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that I feel like that's just a big example as to why it's important that we make these delineations between these experiences. Because mm-hmm. everybody, you know, everybody's story is not the same. And I believe that everyone should have a platform to tell their story. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I read a little bit about Kimberly Crenshaw and her work, and in some of that reading, like one of the ways this example gets illustrated that she was trying to name for us was like, that for example, a black woman who is trying to um, participate in progress for people like her might yes. enter say feminist movements or spaces and find out that even while those spaces are purportedly working for the liberation of women, it might also be a racist space. Boom. Yeah. You jumping a gun. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is like, that is definitely one of the, one of the more tense spots of, you know, this concept of intersectionality, mm-hmm. where as you think that you're going to find solidarity with one particular identity, but they, but that might not be so. So here's uh, a question for you, Zach, to move to a more personal reflection, which listeners, just so you know, like I clear this with Zach ahead of time. I'm not going to like <laughs> throw this on him in real time. We talked about it. But I mean, Zach, you're a gay man and a black man. I am. Yeah. You have your own experience of intersectionality. Yes, Lord. Can you just reflect on that for us? Take us into some, some of the, like, the stuff that's obvious to you that's not going to be obvious to somebody who hasn't lived in your, in your life. Hel- help us understand a little bit of what that is. Okay. So... Uh, I have an example for you. I was on Facebook, on Facebook Watch, okay? And Jada Pinkett Smith has this show called The Red Table Talk. And it's also like on a podcast setting. But it's Jada Pinkett Smith, her mother, Adrian Norris, and then her daughter, Willow. And they talk about pertinent hot button issues, you know, that folks typically don't talk about because they're hot button and they're uncomfortable and things like that. So they created this safe space. And uh, one episode talked about being black and being gay. And the guest was Don Lemon, the journalist and news anchor. And uh, one thing that he said that stuck out for me that really speaks to my experience as a black gay man in this country is that While I'm very proud of both identities, sometimes I was too black for the gay community and too gay for the black community. And then I started to unpack and be like, oh my gosh, like racism exists in the gay community and homophobia exists in the black community. Sort of what we were alluding to a little earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, So it can be really, really tough. It can be really tough at times to navigate because one thing that I'm big on is authenticity. And there were times when I would try to switch things up or I would change my demeanor or change how I act um, depending upon 
you know, which identity, I guess, that I was around. But now I'm at a point where I'm just like, hey, you're, you're going you're gonna to get Zach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Either way it goes. And it's just a lot. Yeah. Oof. It's a lot. But, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely experienced racism within the gay community, for sure. And a lot of that is under the guise of a preference, you know? Some don't. What do you mean by that? In regards to um, dating mm-hmm. and relationships, and I mean, when you look at the media, it's all tall, white, skinny. Mm-hmm. That's it. And that has become, um, I guess, the blueprint of what the ideal cisgendered gay man is, mm-hmm. you know? And that's really frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> it's super frustrating because the gay community is not a monolith at all all shapes all colors all sizes but then you get on an app Mm -hmm. and then you see people say oh i just want a white man Mm -hmm. you know some will say i want a latino man but yeah they don't they they don't want us Mm -hmm. they want our rhythm Mm -hmm. (laughs) but not our blues (laughs) you know and that's why it's so frustrating to me because i come into these spaces and Real talk, this is this is me. My opinions, I'm not trying to speak on behalf of anybody else but me. But when I come into some of these gay spaces, I see a lot of aspects of my black culture be appropriated mm. with colloquialisms, with gay men trying to put on essentially a black scent. Mm. You know, the neck rolls or the lip pops or the snaps. Like, that's black mm. folks, mm-hmm. black women to be exact. So it's almost like, okay, so you like that. You like you like that aspect of our culture. Mm-hmm. But when we need you to come alongside us when they're killing us in the streets, mm-hmm. I mean, particularly um, black trans women, mm-hmm. there's silence, mm-hmm. there's nothing, you know, but you wanna, yes, queen, yes, honey, all of that to death, yeah. you know, that's just, that was my little rant. It's good. Tangent. So, yeah, that's something that I um, that I have had to navigate mm-hmm. for sure. I, I even remember when I first came out, I had some friends that were on the same journey as me and they were white and they would say, oh, well, Zach, now I know. Now I understand oh. what you're talking about. And uh, in all my graciousness, I was like, <laughs> mm. I said, well, your skin is a rainbow color, baby. <laughs> It's not. I come outside and this is black skin. Yeah, you can't take the black off. You sure can't. (laughs) And I never want to. But but yeah, I mean, that was also something that would kind of frustrate me. Mm -hmm. Where I'm just like, all right, chill. You know, and of course, because there are my friends, I would create a safe space, let it all out, get it out, talk about your frustrations. And I would always say, well, thank God you ain't black because you'd burn the whole world down. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And then it was kind of funny because they're sweet and understanding and amazing. And whenever they rant about the queer experience, they're just like, oh, Zach, I can't imagine how it is. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, let's talk about that. And I mean, even so, as a black gay man, I still have 
privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, I still have privilege. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Now, being a black man that's gay, I did say that there's a lot of homophobia. Um, there's a lot of hypermasculinity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there are definitely, like, in history, a lot of that is historical. But it is, it can be hurtful to me because, like I said, like, I will shout it from the rooftops. I love my history. I love my heritage. But it kind of sucks, you know, when people that look like you and people you can find solidarity with um, based on the fact that you have the same history and struggle and things um, because you're gay, because you don't fit this particular mold or mode of masculinity, what it means to be a strong black man, you know, because that's what, that's what we're taught to be. We're taught to be strong and dignified and, you know, um, stoic and things. Never let people see you break, mm. you know. Be careful of how you talk or how you walk or, you know, the facial expressions that you make and things. Uh, that, was a, that was a struggle. Mm. That was a struggle for me growing up. Because here's the thing, the black community is very matriarchal very matriarchal like my favorite girl in the whole wide world was my maternal grandmama I loved her and I mean even my mom like I would just be enamored growing up with how she would carry herself how she would dress how she would talk and turn a phrase and just how fierce and brilliant she was I was like ooh, I want to do that I want to be that you know but I mean, and being a singer, I wanted to sing soprano and alto, <laughs> not because I wanted to sing with the ladies, but because I couldn't hit the tenor notes back then. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I couldn't do that back then. But everything was just so you mm-hmm. did things with the men. Mm-hmm. You did things just because you were, but you did this. Um, and it did confuse me because I was just like, well, there are women that were singing tenor in the choir, mm-hmm. but why can't I sing soprano or alto? And I was like 12 uh-huh. when I would do stuff like this. All of that to say, <laughs> as I'm rambling and rambling, the gender binary mm-hmm. was just pushed mm-hmm. on me growing up as a young black kid. But I'm very grateful mm-hmm. that I'm a grown adult <laughs> and that I can be exactly who I was created to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's still a struggle. And then I think of um, some of my closeted brothers and sisters and siblings mm-hmm. in the black community who probably won't come out because of the social stigma that comes with it because there's a huge sense of community and we don't want to lose that. Yeah. So. As you're talking, one thing I'm thinking about is um, like a number of black members of Southland City Church who mm-hmm. we've talked over the years and and these people who I, I know they love our church they we're, we're, we're friends we care about each other we love each other and yet like when I've heard from them honestly it's like yeah we kind of had a choice to make we 
enjoyed the fact that at least for an hour on Sunday, we weren't in a white space. Yes. But whether it's that theologically we wanted to be a part of an affirming community or that they themselves are gay and they wanted to you know, belong in a community, it's like they kind of were forced with, well, anywhere I go, I'm still not going to fit the way I'd like to entirely, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I wonder how many Sapin City Church people realize how many um, people who don't fit the demographic majority of our church mm-hmm. have still made a sacrifice to be a part of, of us. Man, right? yeah, that's, that's my story for sure. I mean, you know that. Like, I grew up in a missionary Baptist church, and that is where I got my faith foundation. That's where, that's the space where I learned to sing, and I learned that I could sing. I got a lot of my training vocally. You know, I got an idea, my first ideas of what God and and, and Jesus are and the Holy Spirit and things like that. But I had gotten to a point to where I didn't know if I wanted to be in a space that didn't accept me for the totality of who I was as a person. You want me to come in and sing. You want me to come in and whip your choir into shape, but would I be able to bring my man if I have one? Mm -hmm. You know? So there definitely was that piece of sacrificing things where it was just like, all right, the church is in me, and you know me. I'll bring the Baptist to South Bend City Church (laughs) from time to time. That's right. You know? And, and, and people are with me. And, and you can take people on the journey with you if you just tell them about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm grateful to be in the space mm-hmm. to do that. Do I miss it from time to time? Yes, I do. Yeah. I do. I miss it. I miss not having to explain why I'm singing the way I sing or what the history behind this particular song is. Like... Um, or why there's that encouragement, you yeah. know, that I often do from the stage. If somebody's hitting a good note yeah. or somebody, you know, does a good guitar lick, yeah. or does a nice little riff on the piano, I'm like, yes, go ahead. You that's know, right. that's something that I know I've had to explain to people, for example, where I have had to be like, we're not encouraging them to be ostentatious. Mm-hmm. We're encouraging the gift mm-hmm. that God has given them and the fact that they are using said gift for God's glory, you know. So when I turn them around, I'm like, girl, you better sing. <laughs> yeah, Go that's ahead. Right. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's not yeah. only celebrating her mm-hmm. because she's using a gift to touch people. That's celebrating God. Yeah. You know? That's right. So, yeah, that was just a little. No, let's, well, let's go further that direction for a minute. Actually, okay, okay. We're talking about intersectionality. We're talking about complex identities. We're mm-hmm. talking about history. We're talking about how how even how you show up in our church space. Um, and I think one thing has been really helpful for me to learn from you, it goes back to the way that you lead us in worship sometimes. Um, it's funny how once you say it, you're like, oh yeah, of course that makes sense. But until you hear it sometimes really ignorant, right? So like, absolutely, there's a, there's a kind of exhortation in the way that you lead that I think, um, if people have only come from white spaces and maybe they've seen that in white spaces, maybe it's felt performative. Oh, absolutely. 
But there's a whole different history in black spaces yes. behind that exhortation. Yeah. Right. Again, and this might be obvious when you say it, but say <laughs> it so we understand it. Talk to us about that. So, I mean, black folks are emotional people. We have been emotional since we've been in existence. We're expressive. Um, we like foot stomping, hand clapping, loud talking and loud singing, all of that. And it's a part of our culture. It's a part of our culture of worship. You know, I mean, and sometimes it still blows my mind that we used the same Bible that was used to keep us in chains, that other folks used to keep us in chains, but we used it to encourage ourselves. And I mean, some of the biblical concepts of freedom, which was heaven, helped lead us out of slavery. Because mm. you know people use those, my ancestors used those spirituals as code, you know, to get from point A to point B to point C, um, up north to freedom. But that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> But um, but yeah, I mean, when you when you look back historically, it's just rhythm and soul and natural things, and I don't know. It's it's part of our culture. Mm -hmm. It's I, part of our culture. I've also heard you say something. A lot, I'm gonna paraphrase. I'm gonna get it wrong, probably. I've heard you say something like, <laughs> cause, "Okay, here's like, I feel like um, the question can be like, why do we keep repeating that line, right? Oh yeah. Talk, talk to me. <laughs> Come on, talk to me about that." Because it, because it, there's a whole history here, yeah, about what black communities were doing for one another when they mm -hmm. gathered on Sundays, in light of everything they faced all week, right? Absolutely, we were encouraging one another, and I had grown up to where we repeated things in church over and over again, and the light bulb came on for me, and I'd be like, oh, we're repeating it until it hits, mm -hmm. and when and and when things hit. And when you know it hits, when you truly realize the meaning behind whatever statement or whatever line um, is being sung, then that's when you know it's landed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's when you know it's just penetrated your soul. Mm -hmm. You know, like for the kingdom is yours. Mm -hmm. Hold on a little more. This is not the end. Hope is in the Lord. Keep your eyes on him. Like, I'm going to repeat that. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I'll repeat it for myself. Yeah. Because I need that reassurance, but there's a holiness, there's a sacredness in repetition. It's not because we want to run the song and we like the sound of our own voices and, <laughs> right. and right. things like that. It's because we have found a particular message mm -hmm. within whatever the song is, and it's like, uh-oh, this, this hits, this is real. And it's something that we don't want people to miss, you know? So that's why there's repetition in a lot of songs. And that's why sometimes like when I'll do CCM songs, I'm like, let's just keep it right there <laughs> for a minute. Yeah. Let's keep it right there. Yeah. And then that's where the ad libs come in. Yeah. The ad libs is an extra layer mm -hmm. of it, you know, just to pull people in mm -hmm. um, a bit closer to be like, okay, we're staying here. And I'm using my ad libs to tell you why we're staying here. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I um I think one reason I wanted to kind of go down that that trail for a moment is backing up a step, you know, I think to talk about black history and intersectionality. Yes. 
is to to actually at a baseline level like forget about all the trigger words on the left or the right that people are using to fight about this stuff forget Mm -hmm. about that for a moment at a baseline level to me um black history is about seeing at a base level just seeing the history and the experience of our black brothers and sisters right yes. it's, it's so basic and it, to, to love anyone or anything is to see them absolutely right? and then it sounds like to me like intersectionality is at its best it's developing language to see it's like if we, if, if we don't acknowledge that somebody who occupies m- multiple identities a, a woman and black Mm-hmm. gay and black trans and whatever yeah like these kind of stacked identities that have been living in a world built against them that if, that if we don't name them we don't see each other well right absolutely and then we're left wondering where's where do these um ways of showing up in the world come from why yeah. do you express yourself like that what what's that all about mm-hmm. and i think um one of the gifts that we have this month is just take a step as a community uh in south bend we're learning about south bend history why yes. is why has South been broken the way it is today? Well, it didn't happen yesterday, right? Exactly. Um, why do you sing the way you sing? You didn't just decide to show up that. Like, there's, there's a whole history behind that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, why is the experience of black queer people so peculiar and unique and challenged, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you're naming that for us. And we could go on and on. But um, when I read the Gospels, I just see Jesus seeing people. And then I see him moved with compassion, which the word means to suffer with. Yes. Which means I I think he moved through the world with his eyes wide open to the different things that different people were experiencing. And now we've got a world today where there's actually like a whole energy built up around saying we shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Because it's been... um, because power is threatened by it, because systems might need to get redesigned if we talk about it. And you're inviting us to just like, I don't know, when I sit with you, Zach, and when I talk with you, I just, um, I'm reminded of the gift that you give when you're just willing to share yourself Mm -hmm. with us and these stories. And for a majority white church, in particular, who's trying to take really seriously our belonging to one another. Yes. these are like really important learnings for us, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, these are courageous conversations. You know, no one wants to talk about a sordid past, mm-hmm. you know, because that doesn't feel good. It like it does it does not feel good. It it won't feel good for somebody to hear from me mm-hmm. that just to contextualize it. Both of my grandfathers, one fought in World War II, and the other one fought in the Korean War, and when they came back, they still had to walk through somebody's back door. You know, but then other people's grandfathers, the majority culture's grandfathers, were lauded as just these heroes and things like that. Like, that's the kind of stuff that needs to be said and needs and needs to be talked about, you know, and that that's pretty recent this stuff is recent you know I think of I think of my mother who went to Goshen College in the early 70s the early 70s it was a sundown town until I think Mm. 1984 and a sundown town is um, a place where 
if you're black, you need to be inside. By sundown. By sundown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you so, know, and then I, I think of my dad who didn't even get to go to his high school prom. He told me because it was at a setting that was not safe for mm-hmm. black people. Mm-hmm. So they just went to the beach and had their own party instead. Um, these are stories that need to be told. And there are s- countless stories like that. But I do want to say that like black history did not start when we were in chains, to quote Malcolm X, you know. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. it didn't start with slavery. So, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's important that our stories are shared. Mm-hmm. And no matter how difficult it is, you know, 15 minutes of discomfort pales in comparison to the experiences of black people just walking outside their door. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I invite you, I invite everybody to join this journey. Mm-hmm. Experience discomfort is okay. It's good. Expect that, you know, there's not going to be closure from all of this and know that there's work to do. And as long as you want to join us in it, that's so important. Have the, like, have the posture of help me to understand versus I don't understand. Right. You know, that's what we need. That's right. Yeah. And don't beat yourself up over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can acknowledge it, but no, we ain't got we, we ain't got no no place for white guilt. Okay. And conversely, don't be defensive. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I it's funny, I know some of the rhetoric right now, um, happening on the right is that these kinds of conversations are inherently divisive and they're teaching us to hate each other. And what's crazy to me is um so often whether i'm like sitting with you having lunch or whether it's um a book i'm reading or like a larger setting where Mm -hmm. we're talking about um anti-black racism or we're talking about intersectionality or whatever so often my experience has been just honestly precisely the opposite that that these are actually forging relationship not dividing it absolutely that I'm, i'm experiencing more connection with my fellow humanity through this not because it's like naming these things isn't tearing us apart naming these things is actually drawing us together right it is it really is it's fear Mm -hmm. that's what it all boils down to it's fear yeah which which let's we could preach about this but like christians have no business peddling in that okay right fear not for i have redeemed you listen I preach. That's it, man. <laughs> um, well, hey, this we, we said this would be just sort of a uh, a casual conversation. Uh, if friends, if you're listening, like we honestly, the heart here was like, hey, if Zach and I are having this convo in real time over a lunch, we should just have it with all of you. So yeah, we covered a few things here. Um, we did. We did. I hope I wasn't too desultory, but you know, <laughs> tangent, stream of consciousness, it just happens. That's good, man. <laughs> uh, final word goes to you. It's Black History Month. We're talking yes. about intersectionality. You're talking to Sopping City Church, local, long distance, in-person, digital, the whole big family. Anything else you want to say today? Oh my goodness. Black people are magic. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> We're beautiful. We persevere. This is this is a moment where I get to, as the kids say, I get to stand my culture. And we invite you to celebrate it with us. 
celebrate it, appreciate it, don't appropriate it. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to know what appropriation is, there's this thing called Google that you can use. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, above all else, just love one another. Show up for each other. And that's it. And I love you so much. And that's all I got right now. That's awesome. Friends, grace, and peace. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you.